right, and welcome to Fast Break Breakfast NBA Podcast. My name is Keith, here alone for a solo interview episode, and it's a special episode. We're on a, a pretty good run of interview episodes. Today's show was actually supposed to be with Dylan Brooks. That's who we teased. That's who we announced last week. Uh, Dylan Brooks was coming on to help promote the Grizzlies regional caravan that is coming to Nashville on Sunday, September 2nd. Uh, He's still going to come on the podcast uh, very soon, but we had to reschedule this recording. Um, So the event, if you're anywhere near Nashville, uh, the Grizzlies are hosting Grizzlies Night with the Nashville Sounds on Sunday, September 2nd. The Sounds being the minor league baseball team in Nashville. They're also hosting a basketball camp for kids. I believe it's ages 7 through 14 uh, where you have to sign up to go to that. So if you're a Grizzlies fan in Nashville, make sure you look. Uh, you can Google Grizzlies Regional Caravan. Go to memgrizz.com. Uh, Mim can't remember. memphisgrizzlies.com uh, and look at that so you can sign your kid up for the basketball camps. But also, uh, you can come to the Sounds game. Dylan Brooks will be there. You can meet him, uh, take your picture with him, get some Grizzly swag. The Grizz mascot, the Claw Crew, the Grizz girls will all be there on Sunday, September 2nd, starting at 5.15. Uh, and we are giving away, in conjunction with the Nashville fans and the Memphis Grizzlies, uh, two tickets to that game and a chance to have your picture taken on the field with Dylan and a special meet and greet and a 2018 Grizzlies draft hat. I'll tell you more about how you can win that after the interview. The interview, obviously, with Jerry Stackhouse. So exciting. So while we don't have Dylan today, we do have Grizzlies assistant coach and NBA legend Jerry Stackhouse. The interview is pretty short, but I think it's packed full of good stuff. he, I feel like I made him laugh a few times. I feel like things went really well. Uh, it, it was a good talk. It, it was exciting. So hopefully you can enjoy that. As far as the whole NBA on Monday, we finally got some news with Manu Ginobili retiring. I was pretty surprised. I kind of figured he would come back. He, he was still effective and still making plays last year. Still the unbelievable talent that he was, even at 41. Uh, now there's only a Two or three guys in the NBA, I think, left older than me. You know, Vince Carter, Dirk Nowitzki, maybe if Jason Terry gets signed. Uh, so it's getting uh, it's getting rough out there. But, uh, yeah, I guess with Kawhi leaving and Danny Green also, you know, getting traded away, and then Tony Parker going to the Hornets, just Manu, you know, it's not his team anymore, not the guys he knew was accustomed to and uh, decided that enough was enough. It's strange. I mean, you got to wonder what Pop is thinking or how much longer, you know, Popovich is going to keep doing it. Obviously, he lost his wife at the end of last season, and who knows what effect that has on any of his motivations for the season. But still, the Spurs are they're, they're an interesting team. They have a wide variance. I, I can envision the best case and worst cases, and they're very far apart if you believe in like the Spurs magic and being able to get stuff out of the guys they draft and, you know, surprising amount of players that maybe it'll all work. And you look at the team last year that won 47 games, despite all the stuff with Kawhi Leonard and him not playing, you can argue losing Tony Parker helps because he was kind of a negative last year that they should have been playing uh, DeJounte Murray and, and Patty Mills more. 
you know, you look at that team again, 47 games won last year, and then you add in a DeMar DeRozan, a guy who's gotten better in every season. And if you credit players in the Spurs for being better than they were elsewhere, maybe DeMar DeRozan could be MVP player uh, on the Spurs. And so, like, th- I feel like there's a scenario where you could see them winning a ton of games. You're like, oh, yeah, they're the Spurs. They're always there. Popovich gets a great defense, gets a great offense. Now they have this go-to elite score added in with Aldridge. And, you know, so, like, they could win 50-something games again. Or, like, you look at this roster that is now incredibly lost. Ginobili, you know, Parker's gone. Kawhi Leonard Danny Green, all of that championship experience just out the window and replaced with uh, not great. They're going to promote Davis Bertans to play more. Like they have Dante Cunningham, Marco Bellinelli. They signed for too much money that we've all, we've made fun of for a while, how much they paid Pau Gasol. It's like, you know, you look at the roster and if it wasn't the Spurs, I feel like we would say that this is a lottery team. This is a team that goes 30 and 52. I don't trust them. So like, I, I know, you know, maybe the, the Derek white Lonnie Walker, maybe one of those guys will be pretty good and he can help and like things will work out. So I can see both scenarios. I can see like, I, I almost lean towards the optimistic take, but again, just, whatever intangibles goes out the door with Danny Green and Manu Ginobili seems huge. It seems very similar to what the Grizzlies did last season when they replaced like, oh, we're losing Zach Randolph, we're losing Vince Carter, we're losing Tony Allen, we're replacing him with with the garbage, we're replacing him with Ben McLemore and Tyreek Evans, you know, who obviously had an incredible year, but like you're, you're losing that intangible, that leadership, and you're replacing it with something completely different with Quincy Pondexter as the Spurs just signed, you know, just on a training camp deal. But like imagining, depending on the Spurs now, depending on Rudy Gay uh, to, to be good again. And I'm pulling for Rudy Gay. Like I, I thought he would be really good with the Spurs and I'm actually hoping he can, you know, be like, almost old Rudy Gay, that Rudy Gay we saw his final year in Sacramento that was really good. So I think there's a wide variance on the Spurs. And again, as I talked to Jerry Stackhouse, I think there's a crazy wide variance on the Memphis Grizzlies. I hear lots of people talking about the interesting Memphis Grizzlies. Michael Pena wrote a really nice piece on Vice Sports about how the Grizzlies are one of the most interesting teams coming into this season. And as a a fan, I'm excited about what they are. I think the Grizzlies' ceiling is very, very low as far as how good they can be. I think they can be a competitive make-the-playoff team, like in the low 40s. I don't think the ceiling is much higher than that unless Jaron Jackson Jr. becomes some kind of, I don't know, transformational, generational talent. I, I think a more likely best case scenario is you get something like a Chris Bosch rookie year. Like that's, you know, that's good. That's good. That's great. That's best case scenario. But like him averaging 11 points and seven rebounds. And then the rest of the guys, you know, you're hoping for 60, 70 games from Mike Conley. You're hoping for 70, 80 games from Mark Gasol. But even if you get that, you know, they're still just living up to their contracts. Like most of the guys on the Grizzlies are not going to outplay their contract. You're not getting any value beyond what you've paid for. Like Garrett Temple, uh, as I was talking with John Roser on the episode about the Grizzlies, his career high is seven and a half points. Like he's, he's not going to be a guy who's going to fill it up, even though he might have to start at, at the two. 
and you know you're paying him eight million, even though it was a trade. But like he's not outperforming his contract. Jamichael Green, you hope has a contract year. Uh, we get the best we ever get from him. So like the Grizzlies can be very good, but I think they're they're very limited. They're going to be very limited on offense. One of the interesting things that I asked Coach Stackhouse about is the wings. There's just this huge question about who's going to play wing. Um, if you talk with everyone in the Grizzlies organization. It seems like everyone is very high on Marshawn Brooks being a legit, you know, Jamal Crawford type six man scorer. They think what he did at the end of last season is legitimate, you know, where he ended up leading the team in scoring in points per game, passing Tyreek Evans in the the final weeks of the season, you know, filling it up. And in some games that mattered, like he lit up the Jazz when the Jazz were fighting for playoff position. So, like, if you depend, if you're thinking Marshawn Brooks is coming off the bench, like maybe Wayne Seldon starting, maybe Dylan Brooks is starting at the two, maybe Garrett Temple. But if you're already penciling in Marshawn Brooks, not all those guys are going to play. So it's a confusing lineup to figure out, you know, who's going to play for the Grizzlies and who's going to get buckets. Cause again, Kyle Anderson career high points per game is, is eight and same with Garrett, Garrett Temple. So if those are your two and three, and then you have Jermichael Green who doesn't score the ball much, and then you're hoping on Mike and Mark being healthy. If either one of those guys isn't healthy, there's no one to score like Wayne Selden, Andrew Harrison, you know, last year in Wayne's case in a small sample size, like he, he did fine, uh, you know, but can he score 12 points a game if, if he plays a regular amount? Are you going to get a thing where like Wayne plays 20 minutes, Garrett Temple plays 20 minutes, Andrew Harrison plays 10 or 15 minutes, Shelvin Max plays 15 minutes. It's a big question mark. And I think, unfortunately, when you look at the Grizzlies roster, it makes more sense if you assume Mike Conley's not going to play. Like if Mike Conley's not playing, oh, all right. Well, then maybe Andrew Harrison starts again. Maybe Shelvin Mack is then the backup. Maybe they, uh, they Orlando Magic, their point guard position, we're just putting a bunch of guys together that are like, meh, Garrett Temple has a few minutes there, and then, then you rotate those guys. But if Mike Conley's healthy, you know, if Marcus Hall's healthy, I think that team wins 40 games. And then if a Selden, if um, Kyle Anderson lives up to some of his contract. And if Jaron Jackson becomes as good as maybe some of the flashes he's showed, then that team, you know, is pushing whoever it is, the Pelicans, the, the Clippers, even, you know, LeBron James and the Lakers for that, like 45, 46 wins. I, I think it's going to be lower as much as I like the fact they're going for defense. I think they're going to be so offensively starved and the odds of getting anything from Chandler Parsons and getting full seasons from both Mark and Mike seem that the, the odds of that happening seem so low. So it makes me a little pessimistic, but anyway, there's just a little Grizzlies thought for you uh, right now. I'm not committing to a win total yet. Obviously we save those for our big over under shows, but right now I'm happy with the team, happy with the Grizzlies. You know, the, the most praised move was them trading that second round pick and Macklemore and Deontay Davis for Garrett Temple. But also part of me keeps thinking like that unprotected 2021 second rounder is one of the most valuable second round assets owed in the league. And if you imagine 
what could the Grizzlies have bought with that at the trade deadline this season? You look at the trade deadline last year when, when people were hesitant to move anything to get players, and you're like, what could that have actually bought them if, if they just hung on to it and use it later? Could they have gotten something better than, than one year of Garrett Temple? And I know they're bringing in Temple for the leadership, and I like it, but I see both sides of that. It's also why I didn't love the Nuggets going ahead and doing their cost-cutting moves and not doing anything else by trading away a first-round pick to the Nets. It's like, what can a first-round pick get you later in the year? It seems like it gets you something even better that maybe could actually help your team as opposed to just ducking the tax. But anyway, I don't want to get carried away talking about the Nuggets. Uh, the Grizzlies I'm excited about. Um, and again, I talked to Jerry Stackhouse, which is, you know, an absolute treat for this podcast. Obviously, as you guys all know, we never, ever anticipated that we would talk to him. But... Uh, if you want to support this show, you can do that at patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast. We are doing a fantasy football league. We just announced on our Slack chat we're going to be doing a fantasy football league. Obviously, you know the fantasy basketball leagues are coming. We just released a bonus episode last week for the $5 and up crowd, Ground Chuck episode one. So if you want to get involved with all that, patreon.com slash fastbreakbreakfast breakfast. All right. Now to coach Stackhouse. My guest today was the 2017 D-League coach of the year. He's number 100 on the all-time scoring list in the history of the NBA, and he's currently an assistant coach with the Memphis Grizzlies, Jerry Stackhouse. Coach Stackhouse, thanks for coming on. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm very excited to have you on. I was very excited when news broke that you came to the Grizzlies. Uh, but we always start off our show talking about breakfast. And I know things have changed okay. a lot in the NBA from now to back when you were in your prime. Players have grown extremely health conscious. So I'm curious, uh, back in your prime, what was your game day breakfast routine? Were you going healthy or were you running to McDonald's for something like an Egg McMuffin? Man, I was one of those outliers. I wasn't a breakfast guy. It felt okay. like I, I, I'm more of a lunch guy. I would kind of get something really light, maybe a banana or a smoothie or something before before practice, and then just kind of had a bigger lunch. It just felt like a heavy breakfast kind of slowed me down, so I just never got into that routine. So you were going pretty healthy back then, the banana, the smoothie. You weren't one of those guys. Uh, I was cracking up. You were talking to Chris Vernon on the Grizzlies radio show about maybe some te- seeing some guys, you know, smoking a cigarette at halftime, and that was cracking me up. Yeah. But- <laughs> <laughs> those old school guys, man, those those some real men back in the day. I mean, when I when I first came into the league, this Terry Cummins, uh, you know, Ricky Pierce, all those guys, yeah. <laughs> those guys are still kind of holdovers from the from the from the old NBA. So you saw some things with those guys, the beer in the locker room, and I they don't have as much of that now with the younger guys, but those guys. You know, that was the first thing they, as soon as they came in, Vernon Maxwell and Richard Douglas, the first thing they did was guy with the ball boy and told him I need six cold beers in my locker after, <laughs> after the game. <laughs> That's pretty good. I don't know. What's the, what's the cheat nowadays for NBA players? Is it like, give me some bags of candy? Is is that okay? Like, what what's the, what's the wildest thing they have people go get them that's still kind of above board? 
Well, I guess maybe the the Christian cities that have the Krispy Kremes, you know, guys just said they were out to get some donuts and like that. But for the most part, on the, the, the charters and everything, is, is healthy now. They, they hard, rarely have any soft drinks or, or anything like that. It's all the healthy juices, the healthy snacks. Um, I'm, every once in a while, I get, you know, one of the uh, flight attendants to sneak me a bag of salt and vinegar chips on there. But <laughs> <laughs> other than that, it's pretty healthy. <laughs> that's funny you can't cheat like the players look like people give you like they look at you out of the you know the side of their eye like why, why is jerry eating some chips like you're a coach you can't you can't cheat a little exactly but they got the gluten-free chips so they found a way to work <laughs> around it but you know it, it is man it's the kind of conscious through the the whole organization you know that, that i've been a part of and, and seeing the same thing here with the uh, the food since i've been in memphis i mean they do a great job of having preparing a training table for players the coaches and you know and the staff but it's it's all geared to uh, making sure these guys are putting great stuff in their bodies and we're all get a chance to benefit from it gotcha i think the biggest question that nba fans have regarding you this summer is just how you ended up in memphis i know i said i was surprised when like the news broke that you were coming to the grizzlies like i was excited i'm a, I'm a grizzlies fan but like you know the rumor mill had you linked to some head coaching positions like the knicks and the raptors so when those things, maybe maybe those doors closed, how did you decide to end up with the Grizzlies? Well, I, you know, at, uh, before when I was in that process, uh, you know, JB Bickerstaff reached out to me when I was in the process with Toronto before I started the interview process with them. Um, and, you know, I had already interviewed with New York. There was kind of some rumors that I interviewed a couple other places and, and I didn't. Um, Orlando was one of them, uh, but I did speak with, with, with their front office and just kind of said it wasn't the right time. They were looking for more of a, a veteran uh, coach, someone who had been on the bench before, which was understandable. But it was it was great. Just two years from, you know, three years from actually being on a, a coaching staff, starting on Dwayne Casey's staff in Toronto and then being able to, you know, have success in the G League with what I was able to do there with the you know winning the championship and getting back to the finals. I had a lot of momentum coming into the summer and, and that put me get you know put me in a place to have a couple of interviews. And I thought I did really well in the interviews. Felt you know, you know, just I was confident that I had a realistic, you know, chance at those jobs. I thought you know, thought they went well, but at the end of the day only, you know, one one person can get those jobs. And when those closed up, New York decided to go with uh, with Fisdale and Toronto, where it basically felt like it came down to myself and Nick Nurse, who again, who just had been around a little bit longer, had you know more you know rapport within the organization. So I didn't take it as really a slight. It just felt like um, you know they made a, a decision to they had to choose someone and then didn't choose me this time. So and then um, I like I said, I spoke with JB early and and told him that I was still in the process and he thought that he would have to move on with the coaching position. And then uh, I think, you know, some things kind of would slow in that area and kind of circle back around. And once I, you know, the, the, the Toronto job feel, we connected again, um, got on the phone and he's like, man, flying here and we'll talk. And like I said, then he called me back about 10 minutes later, like, you don't even have to fly in. Just come on from our conversation on the phone. <laughs> it's like, if, if you, if, if you want the job, it's yours. So I, I, I just decided, I mean, obviously it's, there were a couple other jobs that came available after, you know, after that. But, you know, it's almost like when you got to, you know, my mama used to always tell me a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So I, right. I had an opportunity to come to a, a young team 
with with a with a coach who was speaking the same language that 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 I love, you know, preaching defense um, and, and having an opportunity to, um, you know, because I mean he looked at when and then like it was, you know, he wanted guys who he felt that were were head coaches, you know, that mm-hmm. and had the potential to be head coaches, and that's that's kind of how our staff was built. You know, it's not really a number one or number two or a guy that's just focused on you know, offense or defense. Um, obviously, my teams in the G League were, you know, a couple of the better teams, was the best team in the, in, in the G League defensively, um, but we were right up there offensively as well. So it was just the perfect fit, you know, from the standpoint of coming in and being able to, to be a part of something that, um, you know, with the roster changes that we've had, we're, we're excited about what we can do this year, you know, and, and especially getting those guys, our main guys, back healthy and, and Mike and Mark. What is your specific role on this coaching staff? Like, did you guys discuss it? You know, when when JB was like, "No, nah, just just come on, you're good." Like, like like you got a job. Like, do you know what exactly your role is going to be on the staff? No, I mean it's just coaching. Uh, I, okay. I don't think that there's one in particular thing. It's like you know, we got to be able to you know get these guys to, to where we want them to go from the standpoint of uh, defending first and foremost. You know, the style that we want to play offensively, um, being able to get on the um, on the court and break down segments and, and teach the game on both sides of the ball. So I, I think from the standpoint, a lot of coaches have to, and we have, we have a pretty big coaching staff. I think we were mm-hmm. fortunate that they gave, you know, JB kind of a the freedom to, to really bring in some guys. So we got a lot of guys that, you know, are able to chart and do a, a lot of the things that normal the normal responsibilities for, for assistant coaches. But for us, you know, we don't have to do as much of those things and can focus more on, you know, on court stuff and working with guys from that standpoint. So it's 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 a great been great so far, man. We've we've been meeting over the last um over this weekend we had a coaches retreat that's kinda of going over different things, different ideas and it was just fun kind of seeing all of the different perspectives uh, and personalities that we had, how they see the game and you know, ultimately JV is going to make the final decision on on our approach and, and how we do it, but it's it's been a really good last two or three days. So you talked about you guys wanted to make sure you get the defense right and you get the the style of offense right. That's a question I have about the Grizzlies. Like, what kind of style of offense are you guys going to go for? The Grizzlies have been one of the slowest teams as terms of pace. I think for like the last seven years, they're, they're always at the bottom of the league as far as pace. Uh, I read on the Raptors 905, you guys played more of a pace and space style. Like you embraced the three-pointer. You said on the low post last summer that Coach Stackhouse might not like player Stackhouse's shot selection. Uh, <laughs> and, and that's funny to me. Also, is the Grizzlies, the Grizzlies uh, have been really bad at two point field goal percentage for the last several seasons. Mm. They've been, you know, last season, obviously you can throw that out for whatever, you know, maybe they weren't trying to win all the time, but like other seasons, they're still shooting mid range jumpers. They're not making a high percentage of them. Is that something that you guys as an offense are are trying to address? And again, like what is that style of offense you guys are shooting for? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the personnel, once we're really able to get our hands on us, a lot of off season, um, you know, signings that we had this summer, guys that uh, are new to the fold and kind of understanding their skill set. Uh, I don't think we want to take guys away from their strengths. Uh, maybe we maybe have a guy now that's really good in the mid range. We don't want to, you know, not have him, you know, play to his strengths. But, but the, the numbers kind of say that 
Um, it's, it's better to get in the paint or it's better to take the three. And so obviously we'd like to, you know, like prefer to have one of those two shots, but if it's late in the shot clock or if it's the, you know, the best shot of baby, sometimes you get into those, those moments in the game where you don't care where the basket comes from. It could come from, mm-hmm. you could kick it in, but, but I think it's just from, you know, kind of playing the percentage and JB has a background with, with Houston and, and, and really having the analytics play a part of, uh, of our style and what we're trying to do. But, um, you know, again, you know, it's play, play to your strengths. If it's somebody that's, that's, that's good on the post up, if it's a guard that can post up, we want to post them up. But, uh, I think that the trying to figure out the numbers in the past and what has happened, we, we, we're just starting with a clean slate and figuring out the best way for us to uh, put points on the board. But I think pace is a, is a skewed number. I mean, I mm-hmm. think there's a lot of teams that want to get up and down. It's really about taking shots, how quickly you take shots early in the shot clock. And I, I don't know if we have that type of team or, or, or that type of makeup to where we want to come out and just take quick shots. We want to use, you know, make the defense work, move the ball from side to side. And sometimes when you when you do that, then you're not going to be one of those numbers that's going to be uh, one of those teams that's going to be at the the best level of, of pace. But you look at some of, some of the best pace teams last year, you know, not to, not to knock anybody, but, you know, it was some of the teams that in the bottom, you know, probably bottom 10 in the league, you know, as far as win percentage uh, were – some of the better teams as far as pace. So I, I don't know if that's the number that you really want to chase. Yeah. So you said some of the guys you guys acquired this, this off season, you know, that they're going to hopefully fulfill the needs of the Grizzlies. One of the big needs of the Grizzlies has always been, you know, scoring. And again, when I look at this team, uh, like the guys, the guys that were brought in, Kyle Anderson, uh, Garrett Temple, aren't really scorers. And assuming Mike and Mark are healthy, there's a lot of question marks on the wings. Like, like who's going to get the buckets for the Grizzlies? So, when you look at the roster, who are you hoping is going to come into this season and step up and get those buckets that the Grizzlies need? Well, I mean, when you look at some of our young young wings and, and, and what they've been able to to show flashes, um, a Dylan Brooks. Uh, you know, Marshawn Brooks, who came in last year at the end of the season, did, you know, did really well. Um, he's a high-level scorer. I mean, I, I played with Marshawn in, in, in Brooklyn, and he's a guy that can, can be really, really, you know, really, really good for us from the standpoint of, of points on the board. Um, Andrew Harrison, trying to see the next level that he's taking. Obviously, um, getting Chandler back into the fold again. These guys are they're going to have to do it more by committee. Like I said, I don't think uh, we got a guy that we can look at and say we've added a 20-point score, but I think we've added a guy that could, you know, facilitate for us and make the game a little bit easier for other players. And like a Kyle Anderson, we can post him. Um, he can play make out of a pick and roll. And it may not necessarily, you know, equate to him putting points on the board, but because he's making, uh, creating, you know, easier scoring opportunities for for, for other people that it, it overall, you know, helps our team. Yeah. You said like the Grizzlies, you know, they, they haven't had like a 20 point score or kind of guard pretty much ever in the history of their, of their team. Like OJ Mayo got close for a couple of seasons. When I look at the NBA league wide, it almost feels like there's a shortage of two guards who, who can get you 20 points a night. You know, obviously a guy you worked with, DeMar DeRozan, like he can fill it up. There's, there's other guys that can do it, but I was looking back uh, the season you averaged 29.8 points per game. 
you know, again, if it maybe pace is overrated, but the league pace overall was down back then, but there were almost twice as many guards uh, who averaged over 17 points a game, you know, was that 18 right. years ago? You know, you had Kobe, you had you, Vince Carter, Iverson, McGrady, Ray Allen, all kinds of guys. And then like on down, Coutinho Mobley, Michael Finley, random dudes. Do you think there's a reason? Like, is that true that we have a shortage of two guards in the NBA? And is there any reason you can think that could be? Well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it was, it was a, again, it was a different game. Uh, from the standpoint where it was a you know more isolation and kind of playing one on one and but and I think now the game is, is kind of trended to more three point shooting so you have guys that you know are better spot up shooters than they are one on one players and and it's almost like they're slotted you know you we we need a guy we got a dynamic point guard we got a, a big that can roll we need more spot up shooters as opposed to slashers and I think that. Um, when you look at that list that you was naming, those are guys that could that could score at all three levels. Not only McGrady, uh, you know Ray Allen, all these guys that could post a little bit, they could play in some pick and roll, and they could shoot the basketball. So I think there was more guys back there in in that '90s era that that fit the mode of of scoring at all three levels than it is now. I mean, probably these guys now probably more efficient. Um, three-point shooters, and those are the shots that they're getting. They're kind of it's more in a in a box to me, but it's 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 the game. I think it's still a good game. Um, still, you know, still fun game to watch, fun game to be a part of. It's just a little bit different than it than, than it was played back back a few years ago. I got you. So, so last thing, I got two questions for you. You just tell me what are the odds these things happen this year. You can tell me if it's likely to happen or, or no no chance at all. All right. What are the odds that Jerry Stackhouse will sing a national anthem before a Grizzlies game? Uh, I say it's probably a fifty-fifty chance. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that oh, that's a that's a, that's a lot higher than I thought you were going to say. So this is good. I, I know some people. I can make this happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna get people to pressure you. That's perfect. All right, all right. Lastly, the, the one thing, this is what I really want you to do. I know you have a, you have a history of toughness. You know, when you played, no one messed with you. I know NBA fans like myself who grew up watching you, like, you know, you were respected. So what are the odds you can teach Mike Conley to get his first ever technical foul? Can you do that? <laughs> Mike has never had a technical man. Say he had, he had one and it was rescinded. So he, so he, he, he has no technical fouls in his career. I think you need to, you know, tell him like, it's good to be respectful, good sportsmanship, but, but we need a, we need a tech tonight, Mike. Like, I, I want you to do that. I'm going to make it my business to get him a technical, but I'm going to make sure we're up 20 points first, but there I'm going <laughs> yeah, to put that on my bucket list. That's perfect. That's perfect. Hey, uh, <laughs> coach Stackhouse, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck this season. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to talk with you sometime in the future. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right, thanks to Coach Stackhouse. That was a lot of fun. I feel like that went pretty well. I feel like maybe he's friendly to everybody, but maybe maybe we'll get him back on. Maybe we'll be able to broach that topic some of you wanted us to broach. Uh, not yet, but we'll, we'll get there. Uh, but anyway, that was great. Uh, really enjoyed talking with him. I think he I think he's gonna get Mike to get that technical foul. And if he sings again, come on, Jerry Stackhouse National Anthem Night, that's a great Grizzlies giveaway night. Why can't we do that? A bobblehead of Jerry singing? That'd be incredible. Anyway, um, as I was telling you, the Memphis Grizzlies are coming to Nashville on September 2nd, and we're giving away, in conjunction with the Nashville fans of the Memphis Grizzlies, 
We're giving away two tickets to the Sounds game on Sunday, September 2nd. A chance to meet Dylan Brooks and have your picture taken with him on the field before he throws out the first pitch. And a Grizzlies 2018 draft hat. Uh, So you get all those things. The way you enter is you... One, you go to Grizz Nashville on Twitter, at Grizz Nashville. Make sure you're a follower and you retweet the pinned tweet there about the Grizzlies event. Or you join the Facebook event um, at facebook.com slash Grizzlies Nashville and share the event. Make sure you join the event that says you're coming to the Sounds game on the 2nd. And then if you share that event, that's an entry. So you get an entry if you share the event on Facebook. You get an entry if you retweet about it, uh, the at Grizz Nashville account on Twitter. So you can get up to two entries. We will be announcing the winner on Twitter and on Facebook from those accounts on Friday, August 31st. So you have all week to enter that and win free tickets to the minor league baseball game for Grizzlies night at the Nashville Sounds. Also, if you want more Fast Break Breakfast, we got that bonus episode up last week, Ground Chuck episode one. That's available to our $5 and up patrons. We're doing a fantasy football league, just uh, we're announcing now. Uh, we're going to we're do a fantasy football league that will draft the Wednesday night before the NFL season starts. So if you want to join the first uh, Fast Break Breakfast Fantasy League, right now you can get in for at the $4 tier. There's something at the $1 tier. You know, you get in, you get access to almost all of our posts. We've been putting up bonus audio, bonus video that's there that you can go back and look at. But uh, if you want to play fantasy football, it'll be $4. Uh, and just keep your eyes out for other updates regarding fantasy basketball. But if you want to support the show, if you listen to the show, and you're not on Patreon, um, we, need to, we need to cut that out. We need to get everybody on board for at least a dollar a month. If you're listening to four or five episodes a month, one dollar, that's, that's just a quarter. Quarter per episode. We like to think what's worth it. So if you're ready to step up and support us, patreon.com slash breakfast. All right, you can follow us on Instagram, on Facebook, on Twitter, at fastbreakbreak. You guys are the best. Thanks for listening, and remember... Breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being G and G. Fab break, break, man. You understand?